cards. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we'll do our clap. Three, two, one. I nearly just fucking said clap. <laughs> that, that does not bode well for this show. The following episode of Knights of Nitro is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. They follow each other all the way, you know. Cause they got nowhere to go. That's why I want you to know. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have made any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself. Hey there, Thunder Buddies and Travellers down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, and we're back for another special Night of Nitro episode here at the PWOM Podcast Network. Uh, I am your host, your pyrotechnician upon Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined, as always, by my faithful co-host, Staggerly Maloney. How are you uh, this fine week? Are you stuck for an intro this week? Uh, well, you see, we don't quite do the same intro on Knights of Nitro, and as is Knights of Nitro tradition, I forgot to look up what I say uh, at the start of Knights of Nitro, so fuck, here we are. <laughs> oh, just, I mean, like, the, the pyrotechnician, I mean... Oh, well, look, the main, one of the main things that stuck in my head from this show is just how an ungodly amount of pyro being used. Um, one of my favourite things about whenever we look at Nitro is that... Um, Pyro is almost used as an alarm clock to let you know that the top oh, of the yeah. hour is here. <laughs> well, that's one thing I always know on these Nitro shows. For some reason, I always know when the top of the hour is. It's amazing yeah. how that happens. <laughs> do, and do you know what? Like, I don't know what benefit it would have in the 90s, apart from like Bischoff thinking like all these yokels are so dumb that if they see explosions, they won't change over to Raw. <laughs> Um, what's wasn't there a case where they actually did it in the middle of a match like they literally like went into a rest hold and set off the pyro um it it's happened on something we covered was it a nitro we covered or was it a thunder where just pyro started going off at the wrong time um that does ring a bell for sure um but uh yeah um they just did the use of pyro like it Apart from that, I can't think of a purpose it would have served in the 90s. But look, for us in 2020, it is really handy to let you mm -hmm. know how much you have gotten through the show <laughs> without having to look at the progress bar as much. Do you know what? That's something I, I hate, looking at the progress bar on the network. Sometimes it's weird watching these WCW shows because sometimes now, you know, light spoilers for the show ahead. We both, I think, really enjoyed the show uh, by and large. But... The curse of the progress bar is that sometimes you're watching a show like this and you're really enjoying it, and you look at the mm -hmm. progress bar, and you're like, "Oh, I'm more than halfway through." Wow. Uh, or a lot of the time, uh, you're watching Thunder or a pay per view, and you're like, "Jesus Christ, this has been going on forever." And then it's like ten minutes into the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it it's really strange. It can go either way, and that's why I just I I try and just power through as much as I can, and then go mm. right where we at. And yeah. if it's 20 minutes in and I'm already pissed off, I'm like, nope, cancel it out. I'm not doing it tonight. <laughs> yeah, I try I try as best I can, unless because I, I watch them quite late at night, unless mm -hmm. I get super sleepy. I try to do it in either one sitting or two. 
Mm-hmm, you know, same. I try to go, well, if I'm sitting down and I'm committing to this now, I am at the very least not backing out until this show is halfway done. Mm-hmm. Um, and the curse of that, again, sometimes is that when you're watching Thunder, you're when you think it's near the halfway point, you're just constantly looking at that progress bar. And it's a killer. <laughs> it's like watching the clock for school to end sometimes. Um, but anyway, apart from all that, before we actually get into the wrestling, how have you been, my friend? Um, yeah, look, it's been a... It's been two weeks since we recorded, so I mean, nothing has particularly changed in our lives, I don't think. (laughs) We're still in lockdown. I was regaling you with how the most exciting thing that's happened to me is uh, getting a pair of glasses, so that's fucking how my October went. Yeah, I mean, like, I was was saying, like, we've had, like, um, Connor's had, like, basically a two-week midterm because of uh, a suspected case of COVID in his class, so he's been off school for, like, an additional week. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, it's been just two weeks since I talked to you. Like, that's all I can yeah. say. I've got two little little bits of correspondence to keep up on. Um, something that I saw during the week. Firstly, just want to shout out to, I think, the our first official friend of the show who wasn't already a friend of ours outside the show. Uh, Chris, who I saw in the mentions this week. Uh, we hadn't seen him around for a while. So welcome back, Chris. Good to have you. Not your takes on Disco Inferno, but good to have you back in the fold. <laughs> Uh, that's for sure and I got this uh, through Instagram WCW Thunderpod on both Instagram and Twitter by the way from Dave who is listening to the show uh, our show from two weeks ago and he said uh, just a quick thing about the most recent discussion about DDP being responsible for guys uh, coming into WCW he said uh, Tony Mamaluke was on Cole Cabana's podcast uh, and said that DDP did claim credit for bringing several guys into WCW Uh and specifically to him named Ron Reese. And if anyone made it big, they were expected to pay Paige back with elaborate gifts. What? Yeah. So I kind of want to go. I haven't had the time because uh, between my, my horror watch along and uh, just work stuff as well. Uh, I haven't been keeping up on my podcast like I'd like. But uh, I really want to listen to that Tony Mamaluke interview now. <laughs> well, isn't all of cold stuff behind a paywall now? Oh, is it? I think it could be. It's been it's been so many years since I regularly listened to that show, mm. but uh, probably since the punk one. Um, but uh, yeah, I th- I thought that was interesting, and I wonder was it again? I'd have to listen to the interview in context or hear somebody else talk about it as well. And I wonder was it a thing where like it was named that you would get me gifts, or was it just like one of these unwritten expected things in that's, in wrestling? You know, one of these really great unwritten strange. rules. You know, like, re- reward the guy who broke you in. I've never heard that before. Like, yeah, of any territory or anything anywhere. But like, yeah, fucking, that's really strange. If that was an expected thing from Paige, that you know, yeah, he'd get gifted things. Was it very like mob bossy, where he would imply that you know, I look after you when you make it, you look after me. <laughs> you know, I wonder. Um. Yeah, just an an interesting tidbit that I thought was worthy of, of consideration. If anybody out there has heard like anything that may corroborate or contradict that on different podcasts as well, I'd love to hear it. Um, something we don't get enough, like outside of the, the two books we're constantly quoting on here, the Nitro book and uh, Death of WCW, uh, we don't hear enough from people... Uh, talking about like backstage stuff at WCW and I know there's loads of shoot interviews out there but we're only two men and we only have so many hours in the day and if you haven't got the tone of the show we're not really fucked doing that much research <laughs> you do it for us we don't want to do it yeah, yeah so like if anybody hears anything like like Dave did there thank you very much again 
uh, if anybody hears anything that kind of uh, lines up with the stuff we're talking about um, in terms of like the timeline, uh, drop us a line at WCW Thunderpod. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Even though we're not going to do the context on this show very often, uh, sometimes gems like that coming in. We've had a few over the, the shows where people mm-hmm. have uh, not necessarily corrected the record, but like uh, maybe coloured in uh, some of the details for us on, on things that were happening. Uh, and we always appreciate the Thunder Buddies for doing that. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to know who DDP also takes credit for now. I, there was a list, like, it, I, I wonder, is it similar to the Dimmer in a very early show uh, on here? I read out the list of people that the power plant takes credit for training. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, that list is excessive <laughs> and is definitely, uh, sm- like, smudging uh, the facts more than a little. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I'd love to hear that as well. So uh, do get in touch. Uh, anything related to that issue or, or anything to do with backstage at WCW, I, I, we always love to hear it. Um, without further ado, buddy, should we get into it? Yeah, speaking of backstage WCW, this is a show that has a lot of backstage WCW. This was WCW backstage ass- assault. Uh, <laughs> not <laughs> the, the live video action game, show. <laughs> the television show. Um, <laughs> this is Nitro 141. Evansville, Indiana. So we're in we're in uh Jeff's neck of the woods. We're getting close to he's at the next double shot of Thunder tapings. Um, no, what this is Columbia, South Carolina, isn't it? Is it? Oh sorry, it no, is. I yeah, sorry, I'm I'm ahead on my uh, my calendar here. You're and right, Evansville Jeff. Is, uh, Thunder, isn't it? So Evansville is where we're going that Jeff will be at. Yes, that's yes. that's right. Um so this is October 5, 1998. Um and the show starts with a flashback um, <clears throat> to the betrayal we had talked about on, on our last Thunder of uh, Brett stabbing the wolf pack and specifically Sting in the back. Uh, and the my, so there's two things I love about this flashback that should have been shown multiple times, Lee, on Thunder. The first is Brett and Hogan grappling. <laughs> Trading holds. <laughs> Master master technician, Terence Hulk Hogan. Oh my god, I can't get enough of the idea of like <laughs> Hogan sitting backstage and going, "Oh, this this guy thinks he knows wrestling, does he? I'll fucking mat wrestle him to bits." It's like, <laughs> it's like the, those opening exchanges from uh, Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels at Mania Twenty One if they were moving in fucking slow motion, <laughs> like it was hilarious not i i'm i was genuinely contemplating jumping back at nitro i got i have to watch this ollie short of doing is locking in the wrist lock and going wrist lock, wrist lock. <laughs> oh before before we keep going on this video package one thing i did forget because it's something we normally do on thunder and don't draw as much attention to on nitro um what, what have you got to drink this week buddy oh um this week i am drinking a couple of corona lights Oh, look at you. Have you got the lime in them? I actually don't. Coward. <laughs> Coward. wasn't the arse good one. <laughs> yeah. So if people doubted our bit about not being arse doing homework, <laughs> Lee wouldn't even cut a lime. <laughs> look. Uh, you know, it's 2020. You know, you know what, can, what can go wrong? Yeah. Like this... It... <laughs> Our lack of effort on this show is really at odds with how I like prepare for everything else. You know, people who are on, uh, like the lads who do link to the castle, me will tell you my my uh, 
my Google Docs for like listing news stories and stuff like that. It's always there. We've always got hyperlinks and everything like that. Everything is researched. All my work stuff is meticulously researched. Even other wrestling stuff I do, like my match of the year spreadsheet is like, is you would worry about me if you saw how organized I, I mean, that we, we press record like four minutes after coming online. <laughs> yeah, we do. And then like, there's like about two minutes of libelous talk that I, that I cut out of the program. Save that for Patreon. Uh, and then, then we just fucking rock and roll without having actually talked about this show to each other at all. No. Um, yeah. So for anybody, because I often hear people say on wrestling uh, about wrestling podcasts, it's like, oh, you set all this stuff up for you to talk about X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, legitimately, myself and Lee hit record, and we just fucking. <clears throat> I have my running order of what happens in the show, and we see what happens. <laughs> but <laughs> I am rocking um, a a new Belgium sour IPA, and I can't even see on this what company it's from. Is that the um, same people that do the uh, Blue Moon? Um, I'm, I'm trying to have a look here. It's actually genuinely hard to see where the company is, but it says an India Pale Ale blended with wood-aged golden sour ale. It's fucking 7% as well. I wouldn't be Damn. having more than one of them recording this show. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've also got a whiskey. Oh, Jesus. Tour Dower Dave is going to be mm. pretty intense. Yeah, we're going to want to get this show over in a hurry for once. <laughs> That's actually very nice. It's one of the milder sours I've had in a while. Um, I if it wasn't for the the level of alcohol content, I'd say you could have a few of them in a row. Um, but I think things would get blurry after the first couple. Um, <laughs> the other thing I really love, jumping back to that video package uh, of the Brett betrayal, is uh, Steiner and Bagwell, who, as we will discuss later, the fucking stars of this show by a mile. <laughs> oh God, that's so good. And their first appearance on this show is in a video package from last week where they're dressed as doctors about yep. to perform surgery, even though they're like backstage at the show. They've got the full gown, mask, and did they have the scrub caps on as well? They did have the scrub caps on, yeah. Ah, oh, incredible. Like that that's dedication to a bit. Yeah, proper ready to perform open heart surgery there in the fucking loading dock outside Nitro when they jumped the wolf pack, uh, which allowed Brett to return and then he destroyed Sting. Uh, then we opened the show with the Nitro Girls. We go from, so we went from video package to Nitro Girls, straight back to a commercial <laughs> for Halloween Havoc. And they do hit the Halloween Havoc uh, promotion hard on this show, as well they should. Uh, something that we've remarked before, I think, Lee, uh, on Nitro. For a company that were notorious for like giving away matches on free TV to pop a rating instead of saving them for the pay-per-view... They do, at least on the three Nitros we've dipped into, do a great job of beating you over the head with, here's when the pay-per-view is, here's when the pay-per-view is, here's the match on the pay-per-view, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, so, have to, I have to say, like, throughout the show, like, they really do do a good job pump, like, um, advertising Halloween Havoc. Like, look, we're not into Hogan Warrior, at least not unironically. <laughs> yeah. But, like, they really, really do push the pay-per-view on the show. Mm-hmm. So, video package, Nitro Girls, commercial, Pyro and Ballyhoo. 
Uh, Tony, Tanae and Larry are here and they're questioning where the laugh is from. Uh, the infamous laugh of Chucky that we've heard for the last few weeks. They don't know it's Chucky yet, but, but we do. I actually thought for a second we were going to get a twofer on this Nitro. I thought it was going to be the man in the mirror and Chucky making his appearance, but I think he's on the go-home show for the pay-per-view. And you'll be relieved to know, Lee, I'm not going to make us watch that Nitro just for Chucky showing up for two minutes, I think, on a, on a screen. Does he not um, show up on the uh, pay-per-view? Oh, well, look, that would be telling. <laughs> but the segment that we had tweeted out before was him on Nitro. Uh, I think on set. They didn't even get him off set, like, uh, trashing Rick Steiner. Um, but yeah, their question where the laugh is from, because the laugh was overheard yet again. Uh, tonight we have Brett versus Sting for the US title, or as it would be described very awkwardly later on by Tony, all the marbles in the United States title division. Could have just said title match, but whatever. Uh, we get a flashback to Nitro, which was actually our previous Knights of Nitro episode, uh, where Piper is buying into Brett's lies and putting him over huge, uh, saying that his dad would be proud of him, things like that. Um, and Tony saying, he stabbed the world in the back. <laughs> it's just so, Tony is so annoyed about Brett's betrayal. Um, then we get another flashback to a Nitro in August when Brett stopped Hogan beating Sting with a strap in the tag match, which was the start of um, Brett's fake uh, drifting from the NWO at the time. Then we get the Nitro <laughs> opening video. And Lee, I don't know if you checked, but if you didn't, do you want to hazard a guess the time in between when this show started and the first person came out on the entrance ramp for the first match. Well, Dave, I did check. <laughs> <laughs> because like you, I went, fuck me, that's a lot of segments. <laughs> yeah. I was like, just this going on for a bit without a match? And then when, like, several minutes in, that's when the Nitro opening video mm -hmm. aired, I was like, oh, I have to check now. <laughs> so, so it was uh, seven minutes, wasn't it? It was what? Seven minutes. Seven minutes, 46 seconds before we see Liz Mark go. Jr.'s face. <laughs> Good and Lord. What, what a man to open the show. Oh my word. And this is I, I tweeted this out. It's like it's it's classic WCW having more toys than they know what to do with. That just throw away in your nitro opener, although you know, seven minutes forty six seconds in, it's tough to call it an opener. Um that you could just throw out Lismark Jr. and Saturn for a few minutes. Nah, just fuck it, lads, have a go. <laughs> um it it was around this point that they said there was twenty days until Halloween Havoc. And I just went, yeah. oh fuck, there's still another month of built. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's 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 going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, this match starts Les Mark Jr. versus Saturn uh, with some good chain wrestling. And it's what made me think that like, if, you know, if they were, if they cared about the undercard or midcard guys, I know Saturn is getting a push at the moment, but I mean more Les Mark Jr. Um, if they cared about both of these guys at the same time, like this could be a pretty decent, like mid-length match, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I was really enjoying it as it was going. Um, Saturn uh, whips Lismark into the corner. It's a standing sidekick. Lismark, an incredible bump off this standing sidekick. So he comes out of the corner, hits the standing sidekick. He bounces back, like his shoulders go back into the ropes on the side and then he just crumples like he's been shot. It was great. Um... Lismark hangs Saturn up off the ropes, regains momentum, but then he misses a running splash into the corner. His head gets rammed into the turnbuckles. Uh, he tries a backslide attempt, but then Saturn hits. I'm, 
I know I'm prone to hyperbole sometimes, Lee, but he hits the mother of all falcon arrows here. <laughs> yeah, fucking, it was quite the impact of the RA. Um, I thought just before that, I actually thought the the little bit of interaction up until that falcon arrow, I thought the match was very sloppy. Yeah, there was definitely some like, um, it felt like one of those, God, I, I hate to come up with like a current, I hate to be the current day WWE comparison guy. But do you know whenever you'd see, um, it's not quite this level, but do you know whenever you'd see um, Asuka and Sasha Banks have a match? Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, this is rough around the edges, but it like, it feels like a bit of a fight. Yeah, like, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily saying it was a bad match. I just thought like, yeah. It just had that kind of like nothing was coming off clean, and Saturn yeah. just looked pissed the whole the entire time. Yeah, and I'm just wondering if there was a communication issue, if it was a case of yeah. Saturn thought Lizmark was kind of no selling a few things, or part of me wonders if this was put on the running order, uh, right before the show started, and they had to call it in the ring, or there were so many video packages at the start that it got cut for time. Mm, something like that and they just had to get their shit in and and they just weren't happy about it but yeah it was kind of it was rough around the edges for sure which is part of why i i would like to see a kind of like a a rehash of this with Mm. a few more minutes but uh yeah the falcon arrow was kind of like it reminded me of when when keith lee really hits a spirit bomb yeah i think of one in particular he hit on speedball at an ott show we went to a couple of years ago uh where speedball nearly bounced up as high as the top rope off the spirit bomb and that's what it felt like saturn just just oh laced him into the ground <laughs> it's one of those that this was an anime there'd be like a giant smoking crater after <laughs> he landed him in um, um oh, we, we forgot to mention this is a uh... A mad division title match. Oh, indeed. And the title was not in any jeopardy, really. No, never. <laughs> uh, would, I'll tell you, we would have been fucked if this changed. <laughs> we would have had to make a judgment call whether Nitro matches count. Because I wouldn't be confident we'll be seeing Lismark Jr. on Thunder anytime soon. Um, Falcon Arrow and then picks him up Death Valley Driver, which I think at that point was overkill. But he gets the pin. Uh, to win and retain his mad championship. Uh, then we get another uh, Halloween Havoc commercial and it pimps the two big matches, Paige Goldberg and Hogan Warrior. I did appreciate, Lee, um, we saw a lot, as we say, uh, of promotion for Halloween Havoc on this show. Um, but I did enjoy how much of it was uh, making you aware that the Goldberg-Page match was the main event. Oh yeah, they, they 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 really did like do a really great job like highlighting yeah. Goldberg DDP especially, um, mm. and like you say, really highlighting it above Hogan Warrior, and yeah. I did actually like we get most of the Halloween Havoc build in the first hour and a half of the show when yeah. actually you don't actually hear or you don't see DDP Hogan Warrior or Goldberg, and they only show, they only show up for the third hour. Yeah, it's a good use of those guys because you're spreading out content involving mm-hmm. your big stars across the three hours. But also, wasn't it the first hour was uncontested with Raw? It's uh, 98. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Yeah. So the first hour is telling you how big the pay-per-view mm-hmm. is, but not giving away the stars live to the crowd. So yeah. if you want to see Goldberg, you want to see Paige, you want to see Hogan, you're just going to have to stay tuned and not watch Raw, guys. Um. So, you know, hats off on that regard. Um, 
Next up, Nitro Girls Part 2, and we get a Nitro Party plug as well, but we would see some more Nitro Party later on. Um, our second match of the night is Kaz Hayashi with Sonny Ono versus The Cat. Um, and I enjoy how the commentators are already over this repeating the three-time world martial arts champion thing um, <laughs> because they are just taking the piss out of him while he's going out. Tony's saying things like, oh, I bet you haven't heard that before. Um, he, They're sick of it. He does his stick. He does the, I'll count to five. And then, Lee, at five, it wasn't quite decapitating an Armstrong brother level. But the cat thrust kicks the soul out of Kazayashi to start this match. It was a stray kick to the chest. And my God, it would not have looked out of place in a fucking martial arts movie. Like, (laughs) Jesus... I don't know if it's the kick itself or the bump that Hayashi takes. It's like he's on a rope and somebody just pulls him. (laughs) He went stiff as a board. He was pushed back about, what, two or three feet? Oh, easily. (laughs) I just keeled over. I was like, it's such a shame that the cat is shite. So this couldn't have uh, lived up to the very first spot of this match. Mm -hmm. But fuck me, like, it got me up out of the chair. I'll tell you that. Well, I'll t- I tell you one thing. You you generously skipped over the cat's uh, promo at the beginning. Yes. Because in true WCW fashion, the cat made some very racially insensitive comments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I believe that the, the actual line was, Hey, Jackie Chan, you may not understand this. Yeah, and I enjoyed, I can't remember which commentator it was, maybe Larry, because Larry keeps talking about how he's Jackie Chan's friend, but one of the commentators felt the need to point out that Kazayashi is not in fact Jackie Chan. I actually think that was Tony. Was it Tony? I think he was like, that's not Jackie Chan. (laughs) Like deadpan. (laughs) Tony (laughs) no-nonsense Shivani. But yeah, it was just like, oh, Jesus. I know it's 1998 and there was a lot lower standards, but even by 1998 standards. Yeah. I mean, come on. And who could possibly have ever guessed that this was a company that was the subject of multiple racial discrimination lawsuits over the years? It's hard to, it's hard to imagine. Yeah. Um, involving w- one of the people who was present during this match, actually. I was just about to say that. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Led, led, led by one person that was at ringside for this match. Yeah. Um, um, do you know what I did find interesting? I never realised the cat played American football. Yeah, they just started um, listing out a bunch of his accomplishments that he played for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and that he tried out for the... <laughs> was it the Pat, the Pats as well? That was either the Patriots or the Green Bay Packers. I can't remember which. Yeah, I think it was the Patriots. But yeah, obviously this wasn't the, the Patriots of the Tom Brady era, but still, like, you know, um, I guess it, it sort of was the prime era for... Um, multi-sport athletes. Multi-sport athletes, but also um, just that was the recruitment of but the two big companies was what football player who either wasn't good enough for football or got too injured to continue playing football can we recruit and train mm-hmm. to be a big stiff in the ring? Um. Also, it's, it's WCW, so sometimes they, they absolutely lie to your face, and I didn't necessarily look this up. Uh, I know his way into WCW wasn't because he played football, it was because he was uh, Bischoff's kid's karate coach. Karate, yeah. That's... And that's how they met. Do you think DDP um, got a present for that one? 
<laughs> well, he should have. Uh, that's for sure. That's what he'd say. Um, so, yeah, after this thrust kick, which was the, uh, the, the peak of the match, make no mistake, uh, we then get a period of a lot of risk control from Kat, which confirms, as I have always suspected, that Kazuchika Okada is an Ernest the Cat Miller fan. <laughs> That, that one is specifically to drive Jeff insane. Uh, <laughs> now, I want, uh, now I want to see Okada fucking scrap scrap the uh, the Cobra clutch and just do the feliner. Yeah, yeah. And just start saying that he's the greatest. <laughs> Great. Um, that, that's going to be his AEW gimmick. Yes. <laughs> um, Kaz briefly gets some offense in. But uh, Kat goes back to work with strikes. Hits a, like, a weird nerve hole that looked like he was tickling Kaz's tummy. Like he's kind of nerve holding around well, the I mean, kidney. He, he has a cat, so he's probably just rubbing his tummy. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Uh, Kaz ducks close, close line, hits a rebound cross body. He goes up top. The cat tries to counter with like a roundhouse kick and it looked ugly as fuck. The two collide. It, To be fair, it looked like it hurt more than most of the cat's offense, apart from that thrust kick earlier. Well, it probably um, hurt more because he didn't do a fucking right. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it probably hurt because it wasn't worked. Um... The two of them collide, fall in a heap on top of each other. Um, and it feels like this is not the first time this has happened in a cat match where I think maybe that was supposed to be the finishing spot, but it looked like shit. So he just mm. picked him up, hit a roundhouse kick and then pinned him because it felt very anticlimactic for that to be the organic end of the match. Cat uh, on the microphone, as he so often is, reminds us that he is the greatest and that no one can stop him. Uh, Sonny Ono so impressed with the cat's effort that he gets in recruits the cat fucks off with him and leaves Kazayashi there yeah which leads to uh, racist comment number two of this match hit us <laughs> Larry Larry Zabisco that is says mm-hmm. you know what they say the Japanese have seven hearts mm. all, all, all we were short was a Pearl Harbor reference yeah um, then we get a clip of the North Carolina Nitro Party winner and I was expecting another like drunk college frat but no it was a kid's birthday party and they got a limo and a cake for it and I, I had a moment of panic when I saw it was a kid's birthday party and I was like this is not the scenario where you want the Nitro girls and Mean Gene showing up <laughs> it will very much feel like like Duff Man bursting in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> me and Gene scooting out of the car with a tie around his head and his Hawaiian shirt. Listen, I think me and Gene would very much enjoy that situation just because he'd get to spend more time with the Nitro Girls. Yeah, and there'd be free cake. <laughs> Uh, another DDP Goldberg hype package, which is very good. I will say the quality of the video packages throughout this show were very good. They really are. Um, like, I have to say, like, we, we rag on WCW a lot. The video package packages around this time, like, yep. there hasn't really been a bad one that I can yeah. remember off the top of my head. Now, they're dated, you know, the graphics and stuff. It's very much a product of 1998. Uh, if it came out now, you'd be slagging it off for looking dodgy. But for 1998, they were excellent. Like, to me, like, more people need to be talking about, like, the Buff Bagwell promo. Yeah. The, oh. the Hoovy Moody uh, oh. beef, Beefcake promo. Yeah, hanging out by a gate. <laughs> the things I've dug up that I can't believe aren't memes in WCW. I know. Uh, and there's, there's one on this show. Oh my God, is there one on this show? I'm almost going through stuff double time just to get to it, but we, we, we will get there eventually. Uh, well, speaking of, of Moody Hoovy, he's up next. 
Oh, yeah. Now, Lee, the word dream match gets thrown around a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I can say that I know on your all-time dream match list, Juventud Guerrera versus Jerry Flynn is definitely on there. But you left out one major, major part. Oh, with Disco Inferno on commentary? On commentary, oh, dude. Like, you, you want to talk about dream situations. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just... This is your. This would have been your like a main event in any arena in the country, for sure. Uh, I mean, I never realised that Jerry Flynn was a cruiserweight. Yeah. Well, you know, he wears it well, I will say. <laughs> he, he's a big 205. <laughs> Maybe he's like, who is that guy? Um, oh, that dropped like forty pounds for the yeah, CWC. Looked like he was going to die at the, the 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 parade of champions or whatever they call it at the start of the CWC, and then immediately put the weight back on. What wasn't that the Chilean guy? Yeah, yeah. Was it size that guy? Size, so, that's yeah. the guy. Size, so yeah. yeah. My God, he, he just looked gaunt. But yeah, um, this goes up on comms, and his specific goal here is to bury Hoovy. Uh, for stooging him off for being overweight, and I did, I did pop for the uh, the disco line saying that he's uh, he's thin in the waist and cute in the face. Listen, Hooven Stooge is an all time great insult, and I don't care what you say. <laughs> it was um, it was a virtuoso perform. I I will say I enjoyed disco on commentary more than I've maybe enjoyed almost any of his matches we've done. Oh, that's fair. Like, yeah. you know. I'd have no problem with this goal, like being on commentary for Thunder. And I be- well, I, I think you will get your wish eventually because I, I I have distinct memories um growing up watching WCW, both Nitro and Thunder, during like the Filthy Animals era, where various members of the Filthy Animals would be on commentary a lot. Mm. Um And th- I think he did it during the Mamelukes era as well. Yeah. He was on commentary for a lot of matches. Yeah, like Conan would be on commentary a lot. Also, let's not forget when we're talking about the gold standard of commentary, Hoovy consistently on commentary is a thing we are going to have to cover in a few years. I totally forgot that. Yeah, and of course, Stevie Ray. But, you know, let's not talk so, about so Hall of Fame know. commentators straight away. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, Flynn manhandles Hoovy here for about the first half of the match. Um, a springboard dropkick gives him a bit of an opening, though. Uh, Flynn attempts to get back in control of the match but Hoovy low bridges him to the outside follows that up with a crossbody tries another to the inside but he misses it uh, Flynn goes for a back suplex uh, and then Hoovy really impressive gets this uh, large cruiserweight up for a Hoovy driver to win um, I, I wouldn't have pictured Hoovy as being one of those deceptively strong guys but he got him up yeah, I was I, I was fully expecting we were going to get like a roll up or a disco interference or something leading to the finish, but no, he fucking just nailed the Hoovy driver and that was it. Yeah, um, I, more... I didn't I didn't enjoy um, Jerry Flynn kicking out a three point one. Yeah, <laughs> you got to keep him strong, brother. Oh yeah, uh, more Page versus Goldberg hype. Then we have Tanay outside with Dorks. Um, one of these things we haven't seen it in a while where uh, someone will go out and try and get the uh, the man on the street opinion uh, the fans outside clearly earlier on today rather than right now um, because it, it's funny it, it's like he try, they try to imply he's out there now uh, specifically during the second segment but we're also seeing 
other segments that take place outside throughout the night that are clearly at night time. Mm-hmm. So there's some wild shit going on. Maybe it's Aurora Borealis. <laughs> in this part of the world. I was just going to say, time, in that part of the world. <laughs> located entirely <laughs> in this arena. Um, so he's asking people who they think are going to win the Page versus Goldberg match. Um, the thing that really drew my attention here was that there was one teenager a presumably self-respecting teenager or maybe not that had a woo two by four <laughs> did you notice this <laughs> i did not i noticed the um the hat that was very prominent at the end uh-huh. of the promo yeah that said cox yeah um there was the, he was just this young guy that had a two by four that just had the woo maybe he just didn't have large sugar paper to hand to make a sign and he just wrote it on a plank of wood um, most of them here assembled outside pick Goldberg to win at Havoc except one like if you were to everybody close your eyes right now a little bit of an experiment a little bit of a thought experiment close your eyes right now and picture in your head this image a ma who really fancies DDP and you, you visualised her <laughs> that's her and she really wants Paige to win. Um, I, I was thinking on. of um, your woman from Misery. Kathy Bates. Yes. <laughs> well, she's just going to hobble Paige. <laughs> I mean, if he doesn't win, she might. Yeah, I guess. She is a big <laughs> fan. Uh, Heenan is out now on commentary. Always love to see Bobby and much more smartly dressed than the other two guys. I will say... Tony and Larry have those WCW polo necks and I would kill a man to have one of those. Mm-hmm. Except for um, Mike Tanae's, which is brown. Yeah. Although, you know, even that one is better than nothing. Um, but, like, fucking Heenan out here, like, he's going to a fancy gala dinner afterwards in his suit. Like, always, always going the extra mile. Listen, um, you, you know in South Carolina Ric Flair is bringing Bobby Heenan out for tonight. Oh my word, it's going to be a messy one. Um, In spite of his kids being there. But listen. yeah. But they also say, even though we've just seen Tanae outside talking to people, they say Tanae is on the phone at the moment. Uh, So he can't come. Uh, We then get a Warrior Hogan video package. And you want to talk about trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's early. (laughs) They really try their best to do this up. Um, and you gotta for the the post production people at WCW, you gotta you gotta sympathize with the fact that the feud has been shite, all the promos have been shite, all the segments have been shite, and their one iconic match that they had was in another company, so they can't use any of that footage. <laughs> so with all those things tying their hands behind their back, it was okay. The video package. Oh, it's uh, just like e- epic music playing over like slow motion stills of them cutting promos and Hogan yeah. running away and they did everything they could uh, and then end the, the, the commercial saying the war rages on which is certainly um, a tagline isn't it yeah next up oh that would if this was now and it was a Wrestlemania match we would be hearing the war rages on four times a segment for five months and it I mean, would be excruciating the, the tribal chief is going to have a war raging on you mean the head of the table? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good lord. Um, Wrath versus Viano 5 is up next. 
Uh, Tony teases for the second time on this show, he mentioned earlier on, we forgot to say, that there will be a likely arrival of the Horseman tonight. Remember the Horseman, Lee? <laughs> that really over set of people that haven't been featured on the show since? Yeah, no, yeah. No, they don't. Well, we might be reminded of them later, who knows. Uh, Wrath, there's not really much to say about this match, is there, Lee? Uh, Wrath just beats Viano pillar to post. Yeah, I mean, it fucking... They mentioned the unbeaten run. I think Keenan at one point asks what what's his count and it gets totally ignored. <laughs> um, Rath does like a really good looking slingshot spinning back elbow into the ring. Yeah. And then he just hits the meltdown. Yeah. I One thing I really enjoy about this is the fucking golly. The fucking gall of World Championship Wrestling to try do Goldberg again while Goldberg is still there unbeaten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they struck something that works. Yeah. And, and they just try and copy it. Yeah, it's like, we found something that fans like, and by God are we going to beat it into the fucking ground. Mm-hmm. Although, like, I have no problem, right? We've said before on the show that I, I'm... The winning streak gimmick needs to be the right guy because the mm-hmm. the thing about it is almost no one has ever figured out how to end the winning streak gimmick properly. You know, I, I think of ones that have that have happened in the last uh, in recent years. The one that was particularly deflating was Rusev. Yep. Going unbeaten for pretty much a whole year and then just lol Cena wins. <laughs> Samoa Joe and TNA. Yeah, and like in the same match where that was Rusev coming out on a tank and you're just like, he needs to win the world title immediately. Uh, listen, I am very much over the Rusev thing because he's turned out to be a massive fucking geek. So, yeah. you know. I, I think I'm with the, I'm with the, the, I think it was the Joe Lanzas of the world who were just like holding on to the last straw of hope mm-hmm. that at the pay-per-view, he just turns on Kip and just folds him up into a little ball and kicks him into space um, and that the whole thing was just a fucking ruse because yeah I am not feeling the best man Rusev at all um, I will allow it a little bit more time than I normally would because this is a guy who's never really existed outside the WWE system mm-hmm. it's his first time with any freedom at all so you give him a little leeway I wouldn't write him off forever I'm not into this bit now but I really, really hope it clicks at some point. Because um, that one, there's one, they they had their match there a couple of weeks ago. And there was one segment in the match where he just went nuts and started, like, throwing dudes around. And that was great. Yeah, but then he also failed to put in his own submission move properly. Yes. Yeah. So, you uh, know. Yeah. Disappointing. But yeah, Meltdown win. Not really uh, much more to say about Rath. I, I will say, once again... I'm watching the show this morning and Connor's kind of in and out of the room and yeah. playing with whatever and he's like, he's watching he's like, why is it called a meltdown? And I, I don't know. <laughs> he's going to be asking you some very interesting questions about Chronic in a couple of years. <laughs> I think even by then he'd be like, he'd be well up on fucking WCW 2000 judging by what he watches on the network. Well, here's the thing. So I've been watching a lot of uh, Invasion era stuff lately. Mm. Um, and do you know what I had forgotten? I'm going to give you this question now to see if you remember it. When they were in the Fed for a cup of coffee during the invasion, who was Chronic's manager? 
That was Stephen Richards. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you'd remember that, because it's one of those things where every time I see it, I'm like, I remembered that, but I also forgot that. They replaced Above Average. Yeah. With Stephen Richards. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Mike Sanders. Mike Sanders had to go to HWA and just never yeah. left. Ah. See, that's two shows in a row we brought up Mike Sanders now. <laughs> we're, we're longing for the days when we get to WCW 2000. I know. God. We have to get through 99 first. Ugh. Um, <laughs> look, look, it's only two and a half years more of shows for us to cover. Yeah, I just want to get through the to the phase where it's irreversible decline so we can just sit back and enjoy it. Um, Listen, we, we're living through two, our 2020 uh, WWE this WCW nineteen ninety nine is going to be a breeze. The saddest thing about WC like WWE now, it's kind of like WCW in as much as they have an embarrassment of riches. There's so many guys in there I really like, um, and a, periodically a match will pop interest on Twitter, and I'll go back and look at it. And I was doing a lot of I mentioned my spreadsheet earlier, but I was doing a lot of my match mm-hmm. of the year catch up. So in a row there the other day I watched the triple threat ladder match from a month ago with, with Sami Zayn Jeff Hardy and oh uh, AJ yeah which was very good then I watched the at first I watched the men's Hell in the Cell match which was dreadful um, and I can't believe there was people saying that, that that match I love Roman I love the stick he's doing at the moment but I cannot believe people were saying that was a five star match um and then I watched the women's Hell in a Cell match, which was excellent. Oh, that was so uh, good. It was so good. And then finished, to finish off that catch-up, I watched the Walter Ilya Dragunov match. Oh, Dave, Dave. I fucking love that match. <laughs> I Genuinely, right? I know a lot of people are checked out on WWE. And in particular, I was so hesitant to watch mm-hmm. a, an NXT UK match because it is the nonce brand. Um... But I didn't watch anything else on the show except this match. And holy shit, this might be the best match of the pandemic era. Um, Do you know what? I, I, I was talking about it with someone and I said, it's sad to say, but it is by far the best match in Europe this year. Yeah. I can't in all good conscience give anything with no crowd five stars. Mm. I, but I'm, I went, went 4.75. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm teetering on it and I'm just like... It's so fucking violent. Yeah. I think I've only had... I think I've had... Uh, two five-star matches all year. They were both before the pandemic. Um, the the AEW tag from Revolution and the Hiromu Dome match, I think, are my only two fives. Um, Hiromu so, Osprey, was it? Yeah. In, okay. in, in the pandemic era, 4.75 is like my ceiling, I think. For a while, I was trying to insist to myself that 4.5 was my ceiling. But the, that match was just incredible. And I can, I'm can i so sad it didn't happen in front of a crowd. Although some would say, even if there wasn't a pandemic, it still wouldn't be running in front of a crowd with NXT UK. Woohoo! <laughs> Here they are with their hot takes fucking <laughs> 10 <laughs> months after it. <laughs> Listen, I, I've, I've reviewed NXT UK shows for Voice of Wrestling. They God, are, I remember you watched like six of their shows in a row or eight it was nine. or something like It was nine. Oh my God. Nine TV <laughs> shows in a row in the space of like two days to catch up and watch a takeover that I fucking hated. You fucking ran back to Thunder after that, my friend. <laughs> Joe Coffey in the main event. Oh. <laughs> I've got to remember that. <laughs> 
one star, Dev. One star. Fuck that guy in general, but also that match was hideous. Oh mm-hmm. my god, I'd forgotten about that. Fuck, that was awful. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of awful, more Hogan and Warrior hype. More today with dorks getting their predictions on the world title match. Oh, oh, Dave, uh, Dave, that that Hogan Warrior package. Yeah, I wrote down all the words that they flash up on the screen. Please, <laughs> regale us. So it is it a black and white package? I can't remember. I think it is. I, I think it was mostly black and white, and it's like them doing like inserts of the promos. So they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven, seven phrases or words, pop up in, in a uh, block capitals on the on the screen as the promo is going on. Yeah. So the first one, threatened. Yeah. Uh, the second one, is just O W N one warrior nation. You're damn right. The third, destroyed. Then you have missing. I don't know why, but missing. <laughs> no, that word was missing. <laughs> uh, one step ahead. Challenge, and match signed. And if that doesn't get you hype for a wrestling match, I don't know what will. Yeah, you're beyond hope. You're beyond hope. <laughs> um, yeah, today with the dorks then getting their uh, predictions on the the world title match. Then we have uh, one of the the <laughs> the start of what would be uh, a, an ongoing saga throughout the night. The Wolfpack pull up in a stretch Hummer. No, they've 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 they pulled up in a black Humvee. Yeah, well, it was a stretch, wasn't it? As well, it was. Yeah, but this is the first sighting on yeah. Days of Thunder of a Humvee of the Hummer. Yeah. Uh, and absolutely you want to talk about a quintessential WCW MacGuffin from this period it's the fucking Hummer uh, black Hummers white Hummers the, the whole fucking gang is here if you don't know what we're talking about fucking strap in Straw. over the next two years get ready because they are going to be more of a mainstay than any wrestler yeah god that is grim to think about um, I I when they're walking into the building I popped huge because firstly they passed a huddle of lucha lads and then there was a man a production guy who obviously was supposed to hold the door open for them and stay out of sight of the camera so all he could do was crouch down onto his knees and hold the door with one hand (laughs) they go into the dressing rooms they're looking for Brett they're looking for Hogan they're looking for Hall um they get into the dressing room and the B team is there and a brawl breaks out. Security rushes in much quicker than you would have expected considering the brawl just started. Uh, but in a moment that made me pause the show and go for a walk around the sitting room, uh, immediately as the security comes in, one of the cops slips and does a full splits on the way down. <laughs> I did not see that. Oh my God, it's amazing. I'm going to go back and watch it because apart from that, and apart from the fact that Scott Steiner is more interested in hitting the cops, yeah, <laughs> including one female cop, which just yeah. like blew my mind. Yeah, <laughs> um, Scott just, Steiner gets physical with more than one woman on this show. <laughs> I wish you were lying. <laughs> I know, but do you know what? In fairness, I love this brawl. I thought it was great. I love the brawl, but also I probably would have fancied both those women to fucking batter him. 
as well. Uh, I don't know. Oh, look, we'll talk about the... I don't want to say who the other one is, but the, the other one later could fucking handle him, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but yeah, no, this was like a properly good brawl. This, like, yeah. why wasn't this the build-up to War Games? Yeah. Now, look, it's a little bit long, I think. Um, It goes on a, just a tiny bit too long. But my favourite thing to do, and I think you should, Lee, go back to the show and rewatch it and just watch The Cops. Because there are great moments. Yes, there's the woman who um, who shoves Scott and Scott like like shoves her back. Mm-hmm. And then I think realizes he had just shoved a woman and it was on camera and she nearly fell over a chair and he freezes out of panic. Oh, really? Oh, but then, okay. But there's also a moment where they're all trying to roughhouse with the B team or make it look like they're roughhousing with them. And at one point, two cops turn around and run straight into each other. Oh my God. It's fucking great. And all the while, Doug Dillinger is kind of just around the outside. like, ah, stop it. The world's worst fucking head of security. At it again. Uh, the co- like, Oh, and also, right towards the end of this brawl, someone accidentally turned off the lights. I think it was Scott Norton. I don't think they did it accidentally the second time, though. Yeah, no, the second time I think was like the cue that the segment was over. Um, But yeah, somebody, because you can see, I think it's Norton. Someone's back bumps into the wall and the lights just go off for a second and then immediately turn them back on. Um, So uh, Sting then is walking brawling with Steiner and Buff. Uh, Then Nash catches up to help even the odds. Sting finally finds Brett. It's, It's brilliant because he just, he opens the door and he's like, fucking yeah. And immediately just goes wild beating on Brett. Uh, Doug Dillinger lamely, uh, not for the first time and not for the last time in this show, fails to break them up. Uh, Security is back on the scene now. Uh, We go to commercial break. We come back for the commercial break and the brawl is still going on. (laughs) And then Sting gets in a JCB. (laughs) No, no, no. That was a forklift. Oh, forklift. Well, no, it's a JCB branded forklift. Oh, now you're being technical. Yeah, well, you can can watch the tapes back. (laughs) (laughs) What I want to know is where Sting got his forklift license. Oh, I don't know, but I'll tell you what, he's fucking nifty with the thing. Because he gets in it and he swings it around fierce quick. Um, and he gets under uh, NWO Hollywood's limo, picks it up and flips it. And then he's walking around going, anyone got a knife? Got a knife? And I thought it was that he was going to like carve something into the side mm-hmm. of it. But he walks off camera. Uh, Nash, king of the castle, stands up on top of the upturned car and starts hitting it with a sledgehammer. I was fearful. The man is hitting a car, the underside of a car, with a fucking sledgehammer. There's a lot that can go wrong. Yes. You hit the wrong thing, it's trouble. Um, and I lo- So at this point I realised this brawl segment has gone on longer than any match on the show to this point, or for the rest of the night, actually. Um, and I was la- chuckling away to myself thinking, God, Nash using the hammer on a car that was already flipped and crushed is kind of a bit of overkill. Mm-hmm. But we had not seen Overkill yet because then Sting comes out with a knife and he slashes the tires of an upside down car. I mean, look, it was no Steve Austin and the DX Express. No, no. I oh, just, you know, this is the first time the Wolfpack have actually acted like a gang. Yeah. Do you know what I want? Uh, if I find the soundbite, maybe I'll put it in. Um, 
I wanted this segment to end with Hogan. Now, Hogan does have a great freak out on this show, but I wanted Hogan to come out, see the flipped car, and react like Vince did to his car getting wrecked that time by DX. <laughs> He just he goes from screaming maniacally to just like sobbing. <laughs> oh, like that 060X run was terrible, but that was a fantastic yeah. moment. Isn't that where um, he, he like he gets like a pain in his neck from screaming? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was either that it was either that one or the plane. I can't remember which, but I think it was the car where he's just screaming and then he starts holding his neck and crying. Yeah. yeah. I- I know I'm going off the point, but the all-time greatest Vince McMahon plane segment has to be the one the night after the uh, the invasion finished. Foley, Foley, it's <laughs> just so eating fr- eating fruit like a pervert. I think that's the tour time we've mentioned that segment on the show. <laughs> but Lee, to this day, it's still my cover image on Facebook. I love you just said he's eating fruit like a pervert. Yes. <laughs> Look, watch that segment back. I defy you to disagree with me. It's looking, have a nice day, Mick. I love the fact that he pops himself with that as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's definitely like he does the last couple of chews trying not to crack. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Woo. <laughs> right. Back on message here. Our next match is uh, Damien versus Hector Garza. Uh, we get like a few seconds of some decent lucha action until Eddie Guerrero's ponytail makes an appearance. I tell you, this is like, this is like the Super Saiyan of mullets. This is like he's still got the mullet, but the ponytail is nearly down to his arse. It's quite the hair though. <laughs> um, but do you know what? I didn't realize this was such a historic show. Yeah, neither did I. I actually, as I was starting the show, I saw a couple of Nitros ahead and I saw the logos. And I was oh. like, oh God, are we going to have to do another Nights of Nitro when this starts? Nope. Saved ourselves the trouble here. I knew it was coming because it was yeah. around this time. But Jesus, I didn't expect it to all be on this show. Yeah. So Eddie comes out and he's got a couple of t-shirts in his hand. And uh, he's here for a sales pitch. He says, what has Bischoff ever done for them except make them all wrestle each other? There's no way for them to break through. Uh, I really love his kind of like uh, world's smallest villain where he says that all the wrestlers have to carpool and room share. When, Lee, I think any of us with a bit of a clue know how fucking cheap wrestlers are Mm -hmm. and they will carpool and room share anyway. (laughs) Multi-millionaire Mick Foley that will stay in fans' houses. Yeah, yeah. Was it him that had the fucking belt made out of electrical cord? Yep. Yeah. What a fucking legend. (laughs) (laughs) Now, to be fair, the man can't walk. No, no. He walks a lot better now that he's had the knees and the hips replaced. Um, But uh, he goes, yeah, he he said, meanwhile, Hollywood and the NWO are all there in their limousines. And Tony under his breath just goes, I don't think they have one of those right now. (laughs) Again, Mr. No-Nonsense, Tony Schiavone. Yeah. 
uh, Eddie tears off his top to reveal his uh, LWO shirt to massive booze, which is a bit... Oh. Well, I mean, uh, look, like, uh, you know, do you think the Latinos getting together in 1998 America is something that's going to get cheered? Yeah. Well, this is what I'm going to say. Like, I, I, part of me wants to give them the benefit of the doubt no. and say... I would boo a third NWO faction for sure. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, that's probably not why they were booing. Uh, he brought a couple of shirts for the boys. He said that they're coming for their slice of cake and Eric kisses ass. And the two lads put on the t-shirts delighted with themselves and the LWO is here. I can't take any Guerrero seriously as he's slapping his own arse. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't take him seriously with that hair. It's like iconically bad. Ah, um, hey, next up, more NWO. That's what we need. Yeah. Speaking of NWO, Tanae is back and standing <laughs> creepily beside the wolf pack. <laughs> the lads are just here having a chat going, Yeah, we're going to get home. We're going to get home. We're going to get home. Yeah, yeah. You just see Tanae creeping into the shot. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and now the plan is to go bar hopping uh, around town to try and find Scott Hall, and Tanae is going to follow. <laughs> And I didn't realise how entertaining today following was going to be until later. Um, I'll tell you Brett what, flashback. He's, he's a better follower or reporter than he is a investigator. Oh, he certainly is. Because yeah. we still haven't Absolutely. heard from Booker T. Well, actually, I'm not sure he is. Because remember that time that he managed to get onto the runway when Flair was getting off the plane, but managed to miss him getting off the plane? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, maybe it depends on the situation. Uh, we get another flashback of Brett uh, the time he claimed he wouldn't join the NWO out of respect to Sting more Nitro Girls then we get uh, Psychosis versus Kidman this was fun this was a really good match yeah um, and it's something we've we've spoken about before on the show Lee where Psychosis having the like slightly larger frame mm-hmm. uh, compared to all the cruiserweights except Jerry Flynn uh, really help him play bully in a lot of these matches uh-huh. um, which adds a different dynamic uh, to things he can quite easily slip into the role of you know uh, flippy luchador whenever he needs to but his his physicality when compared to most other people in the division it really helps kind of stand his matches out from the pack I think um, I didn't take a lot of notes for this one because I was just enjoying it uh, as part of the heat he does his guillotine leg drop over the top rope to the floor. Big nope. Oh, Big I, nope. I wince every time he does it. It's just like, yeah. it looks good. And, you know, make it your fucking finish if that's the fucking case. But, you know, know yeah. there's a reason that Zikosis isn't in the best of shape in 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this match gets over in a hurry because it's just so fast paced and there's mm-hmm. a lot of pinning attempts and things like that. Kidman starts uh, coming back a little. He gets a close near the- fall. Of a sunset flip, the crowd bought oh. a sunset flip three minutes into a match. I tell you what, the the pops for Kidman's hope spots, like Sikosis is yeah. on top for most of the match, as yeah. rightly he should be. He's losing, and he's kind of like grinding down Kidman, grinding down, and he gets one or two little hope spots and a couple of near falls, yeah. and the crowd buy them, and the crowd are very much into Billy Kid. Like you can see yeah. that at this point they have something in Kidman. Yeah, and they haven't even really developed his character no. that much. Do you know, people are just into what mm-hmm. they've done so far without him really saying anything. And, um, I, and do you know what it comes back to? It comes back to him being the guy that nailed Raven with the dropkick. Yeah. That's yeah. what it comes back to. That's yeah. like that's what established him and they went, oh, this is, like, do we need to sit up and take notice of this guy? And then so, like winning, winning the Cruiserweight title the next night and now like just his putting in performances like this. 
uh, and like if anybody uh, for the record books so just over an hour before we found a way to give Raven credit for something uh, on the show this week um, <laughs> he deserves it yeah so speaking of hope spots Kidman then hits the never powerbomb Kidman face buster um, near fall for psychosis then on a roll up uh, then he <laughs> Kidman hits the stratisfaction <laughs> to be fair yeah that's a move that Billy has always done but yes, I can't see it without thinking of Trish Strass anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Kidman rolls out of a back suplex attempt. Uh, sit out spine buster for two. Um, then Psychosis hits a moonsault uh, on extending Kidman that knees him right in the fucking noggin. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That it, it surely knocked him batty. And the, um, you know what? The, the move that follows up isn't any better because... No. He then instantly puts Kidman up top and goes up to do a top rope rana, which Kidman, yeah. you know, holds holds ropes and holds on. Antikos yeah. just plants himself on the top of his head. Yeah. And then uh, Kidman hits one of his more snug shooting star presses, which I, I suspect may have been a receipt. Did, no, did you watch the replay? No. Only for the fact that Kidman had kind of spread his legs slightly yeah. in rotation. One leg lands on Tikos' chest and the other lands just above the top of his head. Ooh. He oh, he came so close to taking the head off Tikos's. Jesus. Um oh, yes, this was the reason I didn't watch the replay because I was frantically typing in all caps. David Flair is in the crowd. Did you only notice that? I noticed it the, I I thought I saw him the first time and I was like, okay, maybe they don't Maybe he's just there. No, the, they're the, in the, the, the cat comes out and like does the kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did notice it, but I didn't think he was going to be part of the show. So I was like, oh yeah, maybe he's just there. It's not really worth paying attention to. But this was the time where there was like, oh, there's David Flair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we then get a shite pre-tape promo of the Warrior, <clears throat> and I'll tell you what, <clears throat> this is terrible. <laughs> Newsflash. Is there, Warrior, is there a book? Terrible. There's something about the Warrior, right? Where there are a lot of people in this worldly whose opinions on wrestling I deeply respect. And then when they tell me that they were really into the Warrior, oh. I consider my life choices. And why, like, I hear people go, I was so... like. I could, even when I was a kid and I'd see archive footage of the guy, because you, I, I got, when I was about oh, nine or ten, was it? No, it was just after WrestleMania 2000 when that big WrestleMania book came out and it had a DVD with it and there was mm-hmm. some warrior on that. Even then I thought he was shite, you know? And his promos never made any sense. Well, well Dave, it, it, <laughs> I have a conversation to make. Yeah. You were big into it, weren't oh, you? Oh, huge. <laughs> Lee, what the, Can you explain it to me? Because, like, apart from the fact he runs and wins matches, I've got nothing. And, I, look, I will say, his WWF music is fucking great. It's iconic. But, like, I just... I just... I just don't get it. I've never gotten it. And, like, I always think that his snarling noise sounds like he's hocking up phlegm. Okay, the, the promos I cannot defend... The promos I, I have no recollection of from being a kid. Yeah. But, uh, but there's reasons for that. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously the fact that none of them are memorable. 
Yeah. <laughs> I watched this one earlier today and I couldn't recall a thing he said without notes. But you know, you imagine being like four years old and this guy in fucking the rainbow fucking colours is just coming yeah. running to the ring yeah. like he's just done about 15 lines off Mel Phillips's feet. <laughs> and he comes out and destroys somebody in like four seconds. Yeah. I mean... It, as a kid, I guess, I guess it's, it's the benefit of having a couple of years of hindsight. Mm. So you, so you know, you that bit younger than me, you went around for yeah. a warrior at his peak, whereas yeah. I was, I was like, I came in when Shawn Michaels was entering his peak. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I look back at that era, I'm just like, I get the colorful thing, but then in my head, I go, but Randy Savage is right there. <laughs> you yeah, know, but he was also a heel for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, this is the thing. Like, again, it's the hindsight thing. I just... This promo was shite, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, So it's shite for two reasons, Lee. Uh, one, because it reminds everybody that the peak of both of them in terms of their feud was eight years ago. Um, And it's also shite, but also a little bit perversely entertaining because this promo was clearly so overblown that they edited it down. Oh, there's yeah. a... There's, very noticeable editing work here. Oh yeah, it's like clipped and they make no, you know, efforts to try and hide that's clipped. Nope. And it 100% is because they cannot put this man in front of a live audience. Yeah, yeah. That's what I wrote. Is like he, I enjoy that he's so bad they didn't have them do this in front of a live crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our next segment, Lee. You want to talk about a 180 degree turn. We get... What I could only describe as a Scott Steiner porn music promo. <laughs> this Dave. Okay. Was art. So you you had to take a break after the Warrior promo. That's where you that's where you cut off the show, wasn't it? Yeah. One because it was awful, and two because it's pretty much exactly at the halfway point of this show. Right. So I watched this show this morning. Yeah. And I text you saying Oh my god, Scott's got in their promo. And you didn't reply, you're like, oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah. And I was like, right, when you get to it, you will know. Yeah. And, Dave, (laughs) (laughs) hang on, I have to go back and look at what exactly your response was. Yeah. Because it was. uh, Oh my god, it was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um,. Yeah, this promo. I mean... I I was tempted to go back and transcribe this, like the, the buff promo. I didn't. Oh, did you? No. I did. Uh, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> right. Lee, I'm going to leave this in your capable hands to recap this promo. <laughs> Does that mean that in future promos, I have to do dramatic readings of buff and you have to do Scott? Uh, look, I'm not gonna say that's definitely gonna happen, <laughs> um, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, so with a dramatic reading of the Scott Steiner poor music promo, I give you Stagger Lee Malone. First of all, you need to set the scene. Yeah. So we have Scott Steiner in a black and white. Well, it's black and it's recorded in black and white. I'm assuming there's some kind of colour in the room. <laughs> um, 
but it's Rick Steiner in a room surrounded by trophies which he will get to because this is the all important part of the promo but it starts off with um, Scott saying Ricky you're lucky you had me as a brother because all those beatings out in the back garden and all those beatings in high school and pro wrestling I protected you because I was the only one that was allowed to beat you up <laughs> um, he basically says um, yeah he only he was allowed to touch Rick and he said for all these years he carried them on his back which he then proceeds to turn around and show his back to the camera and a superimposed photo of Rick Steiner from like 1987 <laughs> is floating on Scott Steiner's back which uh, that was the point when I knew this was going to be special yeah and he says people knew I was the better Steiner and I didn't tell you because I didn't want to hurt your feelings (laughs) and he says you were the weak link at which point we see a clip of Rick Steiner getting knocked down by some double team Uh, and he said the reason we were successful is I overcame your weaknesses cue a clip of Scott Steiner nailing two people (laughs) Um. He said, you were too stupid to realise I was the one carrying you all along. He said, I won all these trophies. And at this point, he begins listing off the trophies. And it's all kind of super, super cut and just kind of sound bites. So I'll just run through them. we got Tag Team Champion, Crocker Cup, this trophy right here, Japan, Ichiban, Wrestler <laughs> of the Year, I won State Champion, Individual Wrestler, Bodybuild, that one was a Bodybuilding Championship. It also has NWO on the front of it. So, you know. I was going to say, about half these trophies, <laughs> ha- trophies have NWO placards. And I love maybe that instead of paying him, Eric Bischoff just says, join the NWO and I'll regularly give you trophies. I love that he won an NWO bodybuilding contest. Yeah. <laughs> um, two-time All-American. He then points at a trophy and says, you don't have this one right here. I don't know what one it is, but he just points at a trophy randomly and says it. Uh, he says I got records at University of Michigan those are all individual trophies that I won I won those trophies because we were a tag team you got one too so he runs through all the trophies he won and says that they were individual but then points out at the end well no you also have them because we were a tag team (laughs) I love the delusion the delusion is the fucking best part of this he says, uh, you never won these trophies. I won these trophies. So you so you could put them in your trophy case. He then looks down the camera and goes, I know you feel guilty about it. <laughs> <laughs> this... I, was, I was the one that made us number one. I was the one that made you a champion and successful. And your success ends at Halloween Havoc because you're my next trophy. It was a tour de force promo. And... Oh. You you did your level best to to put a uh, to do justice to it. I could. Uh, the two things I want to uh, draw attention to is when he does the pointing at his back thing. There's a superimposed mm-hmm. picture of Scott. He says on my back, and then takes care to point out that it's the biggest back in the oh, world. The, the largest back in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> then as well, the bit where you're talking about uh, Rick having a trophy as well. He goes. We got this in Japan. You also have one at home, which I thought was the most the weirdest trash talking. Like, you I also have one at home. Yeah, he runs through all the trophies. I want this. Yeah. I want this. I want this. And he goes, "You didn't get any, but you did because you're a tag team champion." <laughs> and also, the Japan. He's just like, "We won this trophy in Japan. I won this trophy in Japan." Ichiban. <laughs> and this was 
the best segment on the show for exactly oh. two segments. <laughs> because coming up in a couple of seconds, there is another doozy that is competing with it. But we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, in between, we have uh, a check-in with Tanay, who's in the car with his cameraman tailing the wolf pack. And what I love is, in a very old granny fashion, his hands are firmly at 10 and 2 the entire time. Listen, he doesn't want to break the law. No, this is uh, Mike today. He plays by the rules. <laughs> I wrote, without knowing what was going to happen in this segment next, I wrote, Buff and Scott are back. Yay. <laughs> so, at first... I mean, they... I mean, this segment peaked early. Because oh. Buff Bagwell comes out doing a strut. He has his top hat. Yeah. He then takes off the top hat. Mm-hmm. And his face is airbrushed onto the top of the hot hat. And yes, my it God, is. is it fucking magnificent? <laughs> he comes, they get into the ring and then we get a first for the podcast. We get the Scott Steiner line that yep. this one goes to all the freaks out there. Big Papa Pump is your hookup. Holla if you hear me. Um, I mean, you want to talk about a momentous Nitro. I mean, talk about all the Nitros we picked. Just, you know, we picked it for one reason we still haven't got to, but like yeah. all this legendary stuff. Yeah. And this wasn't even, again, we get to even more legendary stuff in this segment. <laughs> yeah, it's not even, that's not even all of it for this segment. <laughs> this segment is so good. I love this so much. So he references the video that we all just saw and how he made the Steiners famous. He said that uh, at Halloween Havoc, he's going to put the dog face gremlins tail between his legs and run him out of Vegas. Buff Bagwell then mocks Rick fleeing. So he does like the fake running away around the ring. This brings Rick Steiner out. Rick Steiner opens his promo with the incredible line, listen here, you two clowns, <laughs> which is such an accurate description for them as a pair. That's like a real dad. Listen, you fucking idiots. Like. <laughs> yeah. He goes, uh, he says that they're a pair of sissies for faking injuries to avoid fighting him. He said it was right here where Buff got hurt for real. He said he went through rehab and now he wants to make a big joke out of it. But now Rick has someone that he's going to bring out that doesn't think it's a big joke. And my godly, I popped out of my fucking shoes as Mrs. Judy Bagwell <laughs> returns to Nitro. And, right, before I lay out the rest of this segment, when people think of Judy Bagwell, they rightfully think of the Judy forklift. Bagwell on a forklift, yeah. <laughs> forklift match, right? But I want to tell you now, it's something I tweeted out earlier today. Um... This segment establishes that if she were around today at this age and she was in an act like this, she would be more over and a better promo than about 60% of independent wrestlers in the world. Oh, like she'd have already had like a death match with Nick Gage at this point. She (laughs) is incredible in this segment. Mm -hmm. And even just the setup, if she had done nothing else except come out here at this point... I am deeply in love with the idea that Rick had had enough of their nonsense and told his ma. (laughs) True baby face. Come get your son. (laughs) And when she comes out, Rick would have very polite. How you doing, Mrs. Bagwell? (laughs) He said that Judy was uh, that Judy told him backstage that she was sick of Marcus's behaviour. He says Marcus and everything. Mm-hmm. Then Judy, to the first but not last enormous pop she would get from the crowd, power walks to the ring. 
Oh, she she takes the microphone from Rick and just walks into the ring like. The crowd lose it for this, and she gets up onto the apron. And she starts yelling, like remonstrating with her son. Say, what's wrong with you? She lambasts him for um, making her and her and his dad so worried when he got injured, and then coming out and acting like this and acting like it's a big joke. Sc- uh, Buff gets on the mic, and before he even says anything, just the fact that he's like looking like he's about to abuse his mother the crowd are so mm-hmm. oh they hate this they are booing the shit out of him for having the cheek to speak to his mother like this and he says that um let's get something straight here without buff bagwell you don't eat i support you i support my father i support the whole family and at that line judy gets in the ring oh, and she was pissed there was not a person still in their chair when she got into the ring. She goes, she gets right in his face. Just listen to me. You were 15 when I slapped you because you didn't do what I told you to do. And you said to me, mother, don't ever slap me again. And she rears back and fucking floors him with a slap. I believe she says, oh, and I believed you and then decks him. Yeah. <laughs> Buff goes down like he's been murdered. And then, as if this wasn't good enough, she fucking squares up to Scott Steiner. <laughs> I think Scott says, like, I, I, what are you doing? And then just, like, she squares right up to him. Yeah, squares right up to him. Lifts the hand to go swing for him. He grabs the hand. And, that, and he goes... Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was just going to say, that brings in Rick. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, hey, lady... You ain't my mother. Get out of my face. And as he turns around from saying that, he turns into a Rick right hand. And then off camera it starts, but Judy drags Buff out of the ring by his ear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. They're going up the apron, uh, or going up the ramp. And Tony lets out the incredible call, the best line on commentary all night. Mom is in charge, as always. And as she throws her son backstage, she stops, turn around, throws up her hands in celebration. What a worker. Honestly, like, born to work. This was a five-star segment. I mean, those those two segments back-to-back is just... It's like must-watch TV. Oh my God, it was so good. Uh, During the break, Brian Adams had come out because obviously Rick and Scott are going at it at the ring uh, ringside and this segment that was interrupted by Scott and Buff's promo was supposed to be a Rick versus Brian Adams match. So Brian Adams is out now. They were beaten on uh, Rick up around the ramp during the break. Uh, Now the match is starting. Scott is still trying to interfere, but... A fucking appearing from thin air, J.J. Dillon, uh, bars Scott from ringside. The crowd are now rallying behind Rick to make his comeback. Brain says that he thinks J.J. J.J.'s job is in danger because you know if if I own this company, Judy would be running the place. Um, it's a fair show to be honest. Yeah, Rick kicks out of the OACP. That's the one arse cheek pile driver. <laughs> Steiner starts a little bit of a hope spot by dumping Brian Adams onto the top of his head with a back body drop. I shrieked. I I imagine that's the that's the time that uh, Brian Adams got the idea for Chronic. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I imagine his ideas were quite interesting after he took that particular <laughs> piece of head trauma. Um, Adams attempts a suplex. Rick DDTs him instead. Steiner, Bulldog, and a win. And we get to hear Rick's wonderful music. Yeah. Uh, and his barking. It's just a, a classic. This did wonders for Rick Steiner, I think. Um, <laughs> oh, no, like he's the fourth most over person coming out of Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but my God, just being a part of that was incredible. Uh, we get our third hour pyro. Uh, and then we cut to Tanae, who's joining the wolf pack, heading into a bar. And it's great because they, they hype it up as like a bar that Scott, uh, that, uh, Scott Hall will be hanging out at. But it looks more like a fucking Applebee's. Um, I don't think this is the kind of place that Scott Hall will be hanging out at at all. Maybe it was a Shoney's. Um, yeah, <laughs> I actually was going to say Shoney's. <laughs> Great minds. Um, did you notice something during the two segments at bars that was interesting? Well, there was four, first of all, there was no people at the first bar. Yeah. Um, the second, no. Okay. So something they do at the, the, the two bars is uh, something that I imagine the WWE Network did, which was to... There was presumably licensed music playing in both bars. Ah, yes, I did notice that. Actually, they dubbed in music. They dubbed in music. And this one was like bluesy harmonica music. And I think it was like just rock and roll, generic mm-hmm. rock and roll in the second one. But it was just... At first, I was like, who the fuck is playing a harmonica? Because it's so much louder than music <laughs> on a speaker would be. And then I realized what was going on. But... um. Yeah, there's no one there. Uh, they turn around and they bail back into the Hummer. Uh, next up, Easy and Hogan are here. Uh, Easy mocks David Flair on the way out, squaring up to him with the old kind of pugilist, oh, let me at him. Uh, Hogan says he saw the fear in Warrior's eyes in that promo. I fucking saw his bloodshot eyes in that promo. Uh, whether it's psychic... F- <laughs> I, I did like this line. Whether it's psychic phenomenon or just plain videotape, brother... <laughs> He's right here now and he's willing to beat the paint off his behind. Uh, if we think that bozo with the face paint is going to save the day, you got another thing coming. Uh, I will say that the line about beating the paint off his behind gave me chilling images that he has like a face paint of the warrior mask on his arse as well. Um, no good. No good. Um, I, I, I loved Hogan referring to himself as Wood. Yeah. At one point he says that Warrior's going to be begging Please Wood Please Woodster And I mean Look We've all called Hogan a lot of names I don't think Wood has ever been one of them No He's moved on from the big kahuna now <laughs> Finally um, He negs the crowd This is great He He basically insults the crowd into paying for the pay-per-view because he tells them, that, oh, those pennies you scrimped and saved for, you might as well spend them on the pay-per-view because that coward warrior is contractually obliged to be there. This time he's going to bury him and end his legacy. Then we get a horseman hype video, which is pretty good. And we get more Nitro Girls. And then we get Canyon with Raven versus DDP. Cool. Uh, but well, what I is mean, not cool... I was going to say, talk about a match they should have advertised at the top of the show. Yeah. Um... What is not cool, though, is Tony, as soon as DDP comes out, shouting, it's time to bang. <laughs> oh, not only does he shout, it's time to bang, he also yeah. says, after the pyro goes off, that was a rapid fire bang. Yeah. Uh, and this is moments after he shouted out his family who were watching. Yeah, I mean, um, look, we all know Tony has a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, 
this match, uh, I tell you what, they're not getting paid by the hour. Moving at pace. Mm-hmm. Big moves and near falls straight away. Uh, Lodi comes out pretty quickly, gets in a tussle with Canyon. DDP leaps over the top rope onto them. The ref is distracted, which allows Raven to hit a diamond cutter on Paige. And let me tell you, the kick out from this, incredible. A 2.99 mm-hmm. kick out if ever I saw one. Talk about putting over your own finish. Yeah, I know. Yeah, typical that is for the diamond cutter. Uh, Canyon with a choke and then a top rope famouser. Uh, Canyon is doing his unique, unique offense stuff while Paige keeps trying to roll him up. It's very enjoyable story of the match. Obviously, Paige can't be put down no matter what. Uh, I was just, I was just gonna say they did such a really good job putting over. Yeah, that Paige is like resilient. He won't stop fighting. Like yeah. he's constantly grabbing for the ropes and trying to get yeah. himself back to his feet. And like the, the commentators are actually putting it over. They're concentrating on the match. Yeah, and the implicit just that Canyon is having to make shit up. Mm-hmm. to try and put him down because he's throwing the kitchen sink at him and it's still not working um, so Paige does a, a sort of like pile driver into a style slash for two it's a neutralizer uh, a neutral yeah oh yeah that's a yeah, got style neutralizer yeah um, Raven uh, up on the apron Canyon rolls up a distracted Paige for two swinging neck breaker for two Paige will not stay down Huge tilt to world from Paige. Signals for the diamond cutter. At that moment, Lodi runs in. He gets floored because he's Lodi and he's useless. Uh, Raven then comes in, laces him in the head with the mic for the DQ. The beatdown starts here and then out comes Goldberg. Enormous reaction. Mm-hmm. He turns Canyon inside out with a spear. <laughs> he slaps Lodi in the face and then jackhammers him. And at the same time, Paige hits Raven with the cutter. The two of them face off with JJ keeping them separate. Uh, we're not usually one. We get sick of the run-in distraction DQ finishes on this show, but I think this was as good a one as you could possibly do. I thought this was great because, yeah, again they put over DDP so like this, the character of DDP so well in not stay like you just won't stay down. You can't beat him, and then you get the big tears. Yeah, like it's just it was. I honestly think it was like the perfect segment. Like, yeah. Canyon didn't need to be going down. Like, DDP didn't need to be Canyon with the diamond cutter. You knew he was about mm-hmm. to. Yeah. And then you just get, like, the, the Goldberg run in. And uh, I just thought, like, a really well done segment. Mm. Uh, Tanae and the boys are back at another bar. Nash mentions they'd been there before with Hall. More generic music to cover the licensed music. Uh, I love this line where Conan says to Nash as they were walking out because he wasn't in this place either. Maybe we should try the strip joints. And Nash is like, nah, he's been thrown out of every strip joint in the country, <laughs> which I, I believe is a shoot, brother. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a man that knows. <laughs> uh, as they get back into the car and head off again, Heenan has an offhanded line about how three Shirley Temples and Tanae is out for the night. It's <laughs> great. Next up, uh, it's Disciple versus Lenny Lane. I know you were hyped for this one, Lee. Speaking of dream matches. I mean, um, why Why is the Disciple now walking around on his own? Yeah, the whole thing was that he was under he was the, kidnapped the spell of the war. Yeah. He was kidnapped and then missing, according to the promo. Yeah. But now he's been found and he's he's fully brainwashed. He's in the OWM. Uh, Lenny runs around and... Uh, shakes the ropes like warrior to try and annoy disciple disciple starts shaking the ropes lenny tries to jump him but it doesn't work classic warrior spot uh disciple hits the big hogan boot whip into the corner big hip toss clothesline to the outside uh back in and the disciple starts discipling up uh hits something that's halfway between a cutter halfway between a stunner but looks worse than either uh he gets the win get gets the win 
Disciple gets on the mic. He says he's done carrying Hogan's bags. He's his own man now and forever. As he storms off, Hogan follows him. And here we go. <laughs> well, Dave, I think I should leave this one up to you because this segment is the reason you wanted to do this show. So this is... If you ever see like a top 10 list or uh, read a book like um, Death of WCW, WCW yeah. this is listed always and forever as one of the all-time worst moments in WCW history. Oh, not just WCW. All of wrestling. wrestling. Yeah. Yes. And look, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but it is iconically terrible. But something that I, I think people forget and I certainly forgot before this rewatch, is just how brief it is. You know? Like, this this whole segment where he goes backstage and, and all this happens, as we'll talk about in a second, maybe 90 seconds, Lee? Yeah, like, it, 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 like it's not terribly long. Like, you see yeah. Disciple walk backstage and he's gone. And that's it. Yeah. And then it's just Hogan and Bischoff walking backstage. Yeah. And the reason I bring up how brief it is it, it is partly to go, oh, wow, I didn't, you, you wouldn't realise how short it was with how much people talk about it. But also to show, do you know, in the fine balancing act that is keeping wrestling hot and, and writing a, a programme that appeals to fans, this is how quickly, if you let things fucking run away from you and book something this bad, you can create an impression this quickly that, 22 years after it happened it is still synonymous with bad booking Mm -hmm. so Hogan and Bischoff walk back to his locker room uh, looking for the disciple Um, they're they're trailing him back and they can't find him they've gone into Hogan's locker room and even though it's a dead end he appears to have disappeared so they both say to each other they saw him come in but they don't know where he went he goes over, there's like a, a desk and a makeup mirror with the, you know, the lights around it. And he slams his fist on the table and he drops his head. And as he lifts up his head, the ghost of the warrior, who is not dead at this point, appears in the mirror. Weak, now, and here's the thing, right? You get a lot of these kind of, you know, we're in the age of the fiend and the firefly play, play, uh, fun house and stuff like that. And, Wrestling is littered with fantastical segments not based in reality or anything like that. But the trick with writing ones of these that will endure or be good is to, one, either have a plausible explanation as to how this could have happened. So something you'll often get, um, you know when The Undertaker was being spooky Satan guy with magic powers? Mm-hmm. You would often get someone like a Jim Ross trying his level best to put it off as like parlor games and mind games. And that's particularly at his post-WrestleMania 20 run. Um, they emphasized a lot that this was just kind of like mind games from Taker. That He wasn't really magic. He wasn't actually but, dead. Yeah. Yeah. But you lose the run of yourself when you do something that um, breaks the suspension of disbelief. Um, when you do something that's so fucking ridiculous, it it just shatters the illusion that we all kind of 
put ourselves in when we watch professional wrestling. And that is why this segment is so iconic. It's not because Warrior appears in the mirror. That in and of itself, if you could have a thing, you know, where it's like, it's explained away as like a two-way mirror sort of thing, or it's a pre-recorded message on a screen on a TV instead of in the mirror or something like that. The fact that it was Warrior, an image of Warrior that was freaking out Hogan, not necessarily what was the bad thing about it. The thing that shatters illusions left, right and centre here is the fact that we can see it and Hogan can see it. The announcers can see it. The announcers can see it, but Bischoff can't. Right? That's the moment. So that's the moment that in in terms of the narrative Mm -hmm. is trying to tell you that this is happening in Hogan's head because Bischoff is right there beside him and he can't see it. So that indicates to you that this is happening in Hogan's head. But it's not because we can see it and the commentators can see it. So now the whole show is taking place within Hulk Hogan's mind because Eric Bischoff can see nothing. Now, but the announcers can see everything. Yeah, but now some weeks watching Nitro and Thunder, I would agree with that, that it feels (laughs) like the whole show takes place in Hogan's head. But but you see what I mean there, Lee. Mm -hmm. That's that's where the whole thing falls apart. That's where the shoddiness... And the, ah, fuck it, you know, we'll just do it. No one will think that hard about it. And people do think that hard about it. And this isn't just now where everyone has the benefit of the internet and things like that. This would shatter the illusion for casual fans. Mm -hmm. And another moment I think of that is almost more sinful in this regard in a way because it happened after this segment ever happened is that nearly a full decade later, Fucking Orton and Undertaker recreate this. Do they? They do it with um, Orton can see Bob Orton in a mirror bleeding. Jeez, I do not remember that at all. Oh, look this up. I don't want to. It's Bob Orton bleeding and. Yeah, know. I think I think he's bleeding in it, but it's he sees something in a mirror. It might be Taker in the mirror as well, but he starts seeing things that we can see, and that he can see, but that aren't apparently happening. Now, I don't remember there, maybe Bob, maybe the part Bob was in was that he was standing there and he was in the Bischoff role of not being able to see what's happening. But the fact that they did it after this got derided as one of the worst things that ever happened. Um, now, granted, in terms of entertainment, it's not as bad as their actual match would turn out to be. Um, the, the one bit of entertainment I derived from it is that Hogan just starts freaking out like loses his mind and he's just like sobbing and babbling into the mirror and he starts pleading with the warrior who starts laughing and then he disappears do you know what also doesn't help the camera is there the entire time yeah and Bischoff and Hogan are like having these kind of private conversations until Bischoff you know shoes the camera out so they're aware the whole time that the camera is there yes which is another thing with the that shatters things in professional wrestling is that you either acknowledge that the camera is there as the premise or you have to ignore it in totality mm-hmm. you can't have it both ways um and as well as that you think about it so the cameraman it's established by him being shooed away that the cameraman was in the room yeah so the cameraman could also see the ghost well maybe he couldn't we don't know he wasn't asked well the camera is being pointed at the mirror well the camera can pick it up yeah so you know either way i guess if it's a thing where we can see it hogan can see it the commentators can see it but bischoff and the cameraman can't 
it's just as dumb as if the cameraman's in the room and him and Hogan can see it, but Bischoff can't. You know, so we've established that Eric Bischoff is the one that's actually losing his mind or his sight. I feel like I am fucking just talking about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, I think the more you think about it, the worse it gets. And I think, you know, from reports at the time, even casual fans were like, oh, this is fucking ridiculous. And the smarter fans, this is one of those moments where you're actively insulting our intelligence. You know, um. So yeah, an all timer bad segment. But we couldn't, Lee. We couldn't do a WCW podcast that passed this by in the timeline and not talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And I'm kind. Look, of, it it, it yeah. is iconic for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, and I ca- I can't say I'm mad. Like if this was a shite nitro, and we put up with three hours just for these ninety seconds, I think I'd be annoyed. But the fact that we almost stumbled into a really good nitro. Mm-hmm. I think makes this a lot better for oh, me. Oh, it made it yeah. totally a lot, more, a lot more palatable. I'll give it that. Yeah, yeah an absolutely bizarre segment. But moving on, uh, we have Tanae and the lads. Uh, I, I love Tanae offhandedly as they're walking into this members club saying the quality of the establishments we're going to assure is declining. I mean, how, uh, how in the hell was that place a private club? Yeah, especially when like the walls appear to be made out of fucking chipboard. It's just a shed. Um, I mean, is this one of these like no homers clubs? Yeah, I, I have a friend um, who lives about half an hour away from me that turned a large shed into a bar and his is in better nick than this was and he built it himself. Um, they're, as they're walking in, they ask the goofs outside if Scott Hall is in there. They say, yeah, he is. The lads come in. Uh, the crowd reacts huge uh, to seeing the lads there. They um, Nash and Hall start brawling the two of them are just like lamely rolling around on the pool table which I was laughing at and then they head into the men's room and this is great because this is so awkward they go into the men's room and the door shuts over and Lex and Conan have no idea what to do they're just standing there really awkwardly they're trying to stop the crowd from getting at the door Mm -hmm. but also they don't know what their cue is to open the door or go in the door so they're standing there they're looking at each other they're trying not to look at the camera they're keeping the fans back periodically they'll say you open the door no you open the door and then when they try to open the door I can't remember is it Conan peeks his head in a little bit to try and see if it's time for their cue I'm roaring laughing at all this. Mm-hmm. I also noticed there's a man in the bar who's wearing a Charlie Brown t-shirt, like the actual yellow with the the, the black squiggle around it. So, <laughs> mad props to that guy I, I going to, on, a, say, on a night out dressed as Charlie Brown. I did not notice another uh, customer of the bar was wearing a South Park t-shirt. And I'm just like, of course. Yeah, it's 1998. What else would you be wearing? No, no fans yeah. in NWO shorts, unbelievably. No, um, no. Although there was a lot of them doing the for life thing into the camera. Mm. Um, I did. I did like the that, doors that finally. Lex Luger armed himself with a pool cue just in case. Yeah, the doors finally opened to reveal Hall unconscious, and it's supposed to appear as if his head is in the toilet, but he's clearly not no, actually. Yeah. He's like slumped over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the cameraman got a bad angle, so you can see that he's just kind of lying on top of it. So the, the long delay must have been the two of them in there like sanitizing the toilet. <laughs> just picture the two of them in there with like wet wipes. I would, I would like to think they did that in advance, but you know, this is WCW, so you're probably right. Yeah, I'm also looking at the patrons of that bar and I'm not trusting them with that place. To, to not just go in and do like a wicked shit or something like that right before the cameras start rolling um next up back to the arena bischoff is back 
He's here to tell us a story about a man named Flair. He said at this stage of that man's life and career, he needs all the support he can get. He mocks all the sudden fans for loving Flair and for complaining a bit uh, at their waffle houses about how um, Bischoff treats him. I'll tell you, my two trips to America, I am very disappointed I never went to a waffle house. Do you know what? I've never gone to a waffle house or an IHOP. Well, I've been to, I've only been to like New Jersey, so. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've never, never done an actual IHOP or a waffle house. Yeah. I've done diners and stuff like that, but. Yeah, I've done most of the, the chains now at this point, but I never did when I was in Texas. So, because I, I believe these are more prominent in the in the South. Uh, I've never gone to a Waffle House or a Popeye's either. And, like, Waffle House is one of those you hear a lot about in, like, just movies and stuff like that. But specifically, you hear, if you watch, if you used to watch dodgy American streams of Raw Live you would see ads for Popeyes every five minutes. Yeah. And I don't know if it's any good. Part of me doesn't want to know if it's any good. I, I'm, but I'm, damn, at three, at like half two in the morning, when you are hungry, watching Raw on a dodgy internet stream, it looks like the most delicious <laughs> fast food in the world. I will say the last time I was there, I was, jeez, yeah. um, it's fucking, what year is it? 2020? Like, it's, jeez, it's 2010. No, it's, 14 years ago um, yeah. the last time I was there I was doing a bit of work with my uncle like building a bit of stuff in his house and fencing and stuff like that and where we had to go pick up some stuff from Home Depot or whatever yeah. the White Castle from Harold and Kumar is just across the road or the highway yeah. or whatever and I begged and I pleaded and he wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't bring me <laughs> Ah, <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh, come on! I just want to get like one thing." He's like, "No, yeah, not not going all the way around to go back across or whatever yeah. way we had to go." Like, he's like, "No, <laughs> one that movie is great." Oh, I love uh, it. <laughs> and two, I've never been to a White Castle leader, so I'll put that. Oh, on the they're, list they're, they're like really rare, aren't they? I think there's only like a couple. Yeah, of New Jersey is one of the like that the whole part of the country. I think. Mm-hmm. Look at us, two fucking Irish lads going. Oh, this is yeah, this is it. <laughs> Look, this is what's happening in we, the states. We, we know American cuisine. <laughs> do you know what? Look, our American listeners, because we do have a lot. It's it, we we, uh, we get a lot of listens in America. Um, get in touch with us. Like, are these places we're talking about worth the expectation we've built up in our heads, or or where is better? I have been to an Applebee's. I will say, and that was like, I would say on the higher end of bang average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, it was I can't, nice. I can't imagine Applebee's was anyway decent I will say it was grand I have been to oh I can't remember the name of the place it's where Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon Senior would bring all like you know the backstage you know the the inner circle where they'd go after every Madison Square Garden show right there's a certain restaurant that they would go to oh I can't remember the name of it and I've been to it I just ran randomly like um (laughs) <laughs> my uncle went in to get went in to get a drink actually, and yeah. uh, I had just turned twenty one, and got my legal drink in America in this restaurant, and I can't remember the fucking name of it. Oh, ah, oh, balls! That's gonna annoy me. Um, anyway, but yeah, yeah. Mar- American listeners now fucking screaming into their uh phones at this, uh. But anyway, this this gone off fucking killed her again. Uh, he says that uh Flair will not be here tonight. He looked around for him. He's not here. Arn trots out. He says, I'm sorry, you need to check your map because this is a horseman town. 
He says he got a new job now. He's in charge of head games. He says Flair is here tonight. He says he doesn't hear authority real well. Like uh, he's threatening him not to bring Flair. Mm-hmm. He, says he doesn't hear authority real well. So let's bring him down. Out comes, and this was a great segment, but also made me quite sad because Reed Flair mm-hmm. comes out. And he's in his amateur wrestling gear and he's got his medal. All at 10 years old. He gets on the mic when they get in the ring. He says him and, and his Uncle Aaron are here to handle his dad's light work. No. <laughs> Which is a gr- you, you, you missed the best part. He gets on what? the mic and, you know, Aaron says, Reed, why don't you tell him why we're here? And he goes, yeah. mean. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> by God, Gene. And the crowd yeah. fucking lose it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, we, and we did as well. Oh, yeah. Um, so Eric cannot believe what Aaron is doing to him in front of everybody, embarrassing him like this. He says he can't fire Reed Flair, but he can fire Aaron. And at this, Reed takes down Bischoff twice. Yeah, single leg takedown followed by a nice double leg. Yeah. Bischoff is absolutely livid. Reed is strutting around wooing, throws up the four fingers, and they bail. Yeah. I think Ar- back- doesn't Aaron say something like, oh, you know, Eric doesn't understand... Um, Ward's too great and he says throw him up some sign language says, or something like that yeah yeah throws him up the four yeah. uh, back from the break Eric is having a tantrum in the ring Liz is here and he's demanding she rings Flair Bischoff screams down at the phone who at who apparently turns out to be Beth and says you can't speak. she must be giving him an abuse because he's holding the phone back and he said, you can't speak to me like that then Flair's music hits and he's here he is loving it this evening Skip, family with him skipping down the aisle yeah yeah the jacket comes off, Flair struts, but before he gets to do anything, the B team comes out. But before they get to do anything, the horsemen are out. And this is another moment where the crowd are just losing their minds. They run off the geeks, and then you get the horsemen, David and Reed, all standing tall uh, as Bischoff scarpers away. Mm-hmm. And you know so what? We got our... It's not too wow. often you get to see the horsemen stand tall. Yeah. And uh, it was just a brilliant two segment little kind of. Thing yeah. and I tell you what, Reed Flair showed more charisma in those what three minutes than David yeah. would show over the next three years. I know, and technically his in-ring debut was before David's, which I would not have guessed. <laughs> um, and based on the timeline, I'd say David must have already been down in the power plant at this point. I oh, would have had to have been, wouldn't he? Well, yeah. Actually, we say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But judging by his maybe performances not. that are to come, yeah, maybe not. He may have never been there. Um, but he what? Where was he when uh, Undertaker attacked him? OVW. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, in OVW, yeah. <laughs> um, so, hey, right. Um, here's the thing. Uh, Flair and the Horseman reformed the, the night after the last pay-per-view. This was another powerful um, Horseman segment that we've been waiting for for a while. Um, here's a little bit of trivia for you, Lee. Mm-hmm. What big horseman match at Halloween Havoc is this building to? I get the feeling you're being sarcastic, so I'm going to go for Mongo against somebody. I'm going to say... Okay. Oh, let me think of a lower mid carter. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to pick the worst possible match I can think of. Mongo and Jim D'Anvil. Well, Lee, you are in fact incorrect. And I'm just going to pull up the, the Halloween Havoc 1998 card. 
just to be on the safe side. Although, look, I, I don't doubt that that would have been an absolute math classic. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't... I, it's not for me to decry your booking powers here. But looking up and down this card here, Lee, you are incorrect because, in fact, none of the horsemen wrestle on Halloween Havoc. I'm not shocked, knowing the direction <laughs> things are going at the moment. I am not shocked to... Uh, to discover this because as Ric Flair is making his entrance and the crowd are losing their collective shit I was I was just taken ahead I was like my god in three months time they're going to do a double turn with this guy and Hogan or sorry it's about four four months but yeah they and I'm just like how do they get it so badly badly wrong because Ric Flair should absolutely be the number like 1B to Goldberg for the next couple of months and like if, if the idea is to you know reunite the NWO after fucking 6 months that's fine make them fucking heels and make them fucking serious heels that's grand but you need people to face them yeah it's I'm actually kind of surprised that when I put that question to you you didn't immediately guess none of them have a match because that is it like you said it's so unsurprising when you think about it but hey whatever uh it's time for the main event Pyro and Ballyhoo again we got Sting versus Brett for the US title Sting comes out first he's hyped Brett comes halfway out and then backs the fuck up and then he just fucks off um WCW backstage assault is back because Sting gives chase to the back and catches up with him. They start a, a walking brawl through the back. And what I love about this was it's one of those moments where there's a thinly veiled line from a commentator about how much they hate this. Uh, I think it was Tony saying, how many times tonight have we gone to the back for an unabridged brawl? Yeah. And I think it's, uh, as Larry that points out, like this is done by Sting. His friends aren't here. Yeah. Um, Huge pop for me at one moment where they're walking back and Sting picks up a whiteboard and just fucks it on his head. <laughs> it's great. That, that's the teacher in you coming out. Yeah. They, yeah, something I've thought about many times. Um, They go to catering, which is being packed up. It's basically just the tables and the chairs there at this point where Brett is now taking the upper hand in this brawl. Suplexes Sting through a table, then hits him with a trash can, then pilmanizes his leg with a trash can assist. Brett goes to throw uh, a chair at him and Sting <laughs> takes a storage box and bowls a strike with it, knocking <laughs> Brett over. Uh, I always said, said Sting would be good at a 16 carat bowl. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, what an appearance booking that would be when we're back in 2022. Well, I mean, look, they are WWE affiliated. You can't remember. I mean, they did book the Thunder commentary team last year. Um, <laughs> no, Dave, we're not doing that. <laughs> the three faces of Sting. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit, we might have to do that actually. Yeah, we might. Oh, do you know what? Like one of us should be Surfer Sting. Yeah. One Wolf of us should sting. be Crows. One of us should be Crow Sting. And then I was thinking the other one should be Sting hiding out under a Sting mask from TNA. <laughs> oh, you, um, could, you could just do Wolfpack Sting. Yeah, you could. Uh, or you could do ugh, Joker Sting. Yeah, that's also a possibility. Ooh. Anyway, uh, Sting tries to close the door on Brett's leg. Brett tries to run him over in a golf cart. 
but he can't get it to start. So he's like, fuck it. <laughs> Sting chokes Brett with a with a bar. There was a point at which they had both picked up bars and I was like, please, uh, the Jewel of the Fates music from Star Wars Episode 1 started playing in my head. I was like, please have a duel with, this, with the, the long poles, but they didn't. Um, I thought they were going to do like that. Remember the, the fucking kid that did the lightsaber dance on his own? Yeah. The pretend fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's an old meme for you. I uh, tell you what. Um, Scorpion Deadlock applied with some difficulty because obviously Sting's leg had been hurt uh, from being pilmanized. Uh, he tries he tries to use another trash can on Brett, but it gets chained. It's chained to the wall, so he just starts wandering off. <laughs> then, five or six minutes after this brawl had started, Doug Dillinger is finally here, out of breath, to try and break it up, even though it's already been broken up because Sting just walked off. Brett limps through a door out of shot because he just doesn't want to be here anymore. And then we go off air to Doug Dillinger helping Sting get into a chair. Do you know who Sting Brett looked like? Do you remember the Mr. Plow ad? Yeah. Grandpa Simpson. Yeah. (laughs) Old old man Frost. And he just limps out of shot and he's like, I'm going inside. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's a great shout. Um, Overall, Lee, what did you think of this show? This is, this is the end of uh, that episode of Nitro. What do you think of the show and who are your winners and losers? I mean, in spite of the fucking the flattest of flat endings to a show you could ever imagine, I actually really enjoyed the show. I genuinely, like, a three-hour Nitro shouldn't be this enjoyable. <laughs> you know, I think the run the runtime on the network was something like two hours, 29 minutes or something like that. And I have to say, like, it wasn't a struggle at all. There was enough good stuff spaced out throughout that I just kind of like, yeah, like I, I went, I, I did like the first sitting, I think I only watched about 25 minutes. But then like this morning, I just kind of breezed through the last two hours and it was fairly fucking good. Like I, I really do think this was a good show. Including hype packages, would you like to take a stab at how many segments were on this show? Oh, fuck. Uh, like I know there was 10 matches, but yeah. segments, I'm going to guess like, geez, there have to be like 22 there was 41 no <laughs> yeah when you think about it, there was four Nitro Girl segments alone fuck <laughs> yeah and then there was like four segments of Tanay chasing the wolf pack the brawl was two segments well I didn't count it as two segments but it was two segments um yeah like this shit fucking man there's a lot of fucking segments on this show but uh who are your winners and losers I mean, Scott Steiner is the biggest winner for me on this show. I I fucking adore that promo segment. He was involved in the incredible Judy Bagwell segment. Um, he is by far the biggest winner. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to say DDP as well because he has been rehabbed so incredibly well since the Hogan feud. I mean, forget, like, I know the, the, the build to Fall Brawl was messy and all that, but, like, it, he has actually kind of built back up the fact like there was actual DDP chance on this show which is the first I can remember in a while um, losers I mean um, like there's no real st- standout loser on the show for me I mean Hogan and Warrior I mean the whole build is preposterous yeah yeah that whole like it's not an individual loser it's the whole idea of doing that is preposterous and, like it's 1998 like you said the warrior hasn't been you know prominent in the resting sense since 1991 like seven years earlier yeah 
why bring him back and why bring him back to do this shit yeah but look it's not Eric's money so who the fuck does he care yeah exactly yeah, it's, it's Uncle Ted's who are the winners um, of those few uh, I would agree with most of yours but I will say that the correct answer is Judy Bagwell <laughs> for winner and thus Marcus Alexander Bagwell is the uh, is the loser uh, <laughs> thoroughly embarrassed and dragged out by the year and I don't, I don't even um, see that as a losing segment for him I just think yeah. you know look we know where this is going yeah but you know we, we have to enjoy it while it's here mm-hmm. for sure um yeah, our, our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borger has 10 matches with 6 clean finishes, 1 DQ or count out and 3 non-finishes. Um, so yeah, for a 3 hour Nitro to still have majority clean finishes, we're, we're doing well there I think. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so yeah. I mean, yeah. this this period, like we've said it, it, it ranges from boring to pretty decent. Like, it, it, like there's only smatterings of really bad like the, the the build to the, the nine man cage that was bad the build to Hogan warrior match is bad the build to the Hogan Leno fucking DDP tag match that was bad but what's the common denominator there it's all Hogan yeah you're not wrong other stuff going on on the show is good mm-hmm. he just can the all-consuming politician mm-hmm wrecks the stuff he's directly involved in and then because he wants specific things at specific times to happen he causes a domino effect that wrecks everything else like we talked about how so much had to be hot shotted to get to him and Goldberg mm-hmm. in the Georgia Dome um, like, like so yeah Nash Hall that should be yeah. a feud that peaks a start it yeah but it's not mm-hmm. anyway <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, thanks everyone for tuning into another episode of Knights of Nitro. We'll be back on our regular Thunder bullshit in a couple of weeks. Uh, but only two Thunders left, or two, two or three Thunders left. Tr- yeah, three Thunders tr- left. Three Thunders before Halloween Havoc. And I don't, I don't think we're doing another Nitro this month, are we? Uh, no, this is the last Nitro uh, for a little while. Um, so enjoy we do have a couple of special episodes that will be coming up before the end of the year I think Um, (laughs) yes um, I'll tell you about those off the air because I don't want to spoil it yet Um, and then in the new year because we won't we'll have a run where we don't have any special things coming up I think maybe we'll we'll start to look into a new pick your poison Mm -hmm. in the new year but I wouldn't expect any of those before Christmas no especially with everybody we like to try and get in the same room as people or to be able to have a communal experience when we do those um so covid has made that tough I, but I think, uh, bear with us i think if we can work another pick your poison around the tokyo dome baby yes the the idea and the guest we had in our head would probably be perfect for that mm-hmm. um but we have to talk to him first yeah. um but that's just between COVID, yeah. uh, between COVID and everybody losing the lust for watching wrestling a lot over the summer. Understandably, uh, it has been a bit of a like it, it's not been a priority of ours. But we will be having one in the new year at some stage. So just just so you know that that series is not dead. <laughs> just sleeping. <laughs> uh, we don't we we give up on our research, but we don't give up on our stupid show concepts that easily. <laughs> 
Right. Anyway, uh, we'll see you all in two weeks. Uh, thanks for tuning in, Thunder Buddies. We'll talk to you soon.